Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, faithful friends and listeners, and thank you for joining me as we continue and conclude our look into the book of the minor prophet Haggai. And if you were with me for the first two segments, you know that basically the theme of Haggai as a book is putting Yahweh God and His house first in all things. And in this book, we see that Yahweh God is willing to make a compromise where He says in chapter 1, verse 8, Go up to the mountains, bring wood and build, and I will take pleasure in the temple, saith Yahweh God. Meaning that Yahweh God's intention was to dwell within that temple. But time and time again, usually we as the Israelites will erect our own priests. Priests that will come in and tell us what it is that we want to hear, as opposed to what the law truly says. And of course we found that sentiment within the book of the third post-exile minor prophet, being Malachi. Because it was Malachi who comes in a hundred years after Haggai, and says that the priests are causing the people to err. Therefore, in this book of the minor prophet Haggai, we're going to see now it shift towards the priests. Yahweh God has a question for the priests during the rebuilding of the temple. And so, at the end of part 2, we left off in chapter 2, but verse 9, where Yahweh God promises, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith Yahweh of hosts. And in this place... I will give peace, saith Yahweh of hosts. Now, in my book, that's a very powerful statement because many of us are seeking peace. In fact, almost every politician out there, whether they have good intentions or do not, usually will spew their lies in light of the fact that they are seeking peace, or they say that they are. But true peace comes from Yahweh God. In fact, one of the names of Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And Yahweh God promises that we can have peace within the temple. But what can we learn from all of this? Well, the temple, if you will, in Jerusalem, we can attribute to the many-membered body of Christ. Remember that Jesus Himself says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Meaning that is the temple. And that, my friend, is what we need to put first. And that is the theme of Haggai the prophet. And so, in continuing, in Haggai chapter 2, Yahweh God has a question and a message for the priests. 
the first generation of priests that would work within the temple after it had been rebuilt. And that begins in verse 10. In the fourth and twentieth day, in the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of Yahweh by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, Now we're going to look at what it is that Yahweh God says by Haggai as prophet. But we should notice right out the gate that the terminology is by Haggai. Meaning Haggai did not add anything new. Haggai was giving God's intention to the people and God's intention had already been written and codified within what? The law. Therefore, here Haggai is instructed by Father Yahweh to do what? To ask a question of the priest. And that question was concerning the law of God. And so, we see time and time again, almost every prophet of the Old Testament seemingly will take the people and the children of Israel back into the temple and they will show them the law of remembrance. They will show them the book that was already given, the intention of God that was handed down through Moses. And they will get the people back on the right track. But in Haggai's case, he was only able to raise up a small remnant and a small residue of the people. And they, of course, were willing to rebuild the temple. And so, within 24 days, Haggai goes into Jerusalem, he rises up the people, he gets a small remnant, and Yahweh God promises to pour out His Spirit upon those people because they took the leap of faith. Now, Yahweh God has a question through Haggai. And the question is concerning the law. Now, the law is an entirely different study in and of itself. Because we live in a modern era where they come in and they espouse antinomian sentiment. They tell you that Christ died to do away with God's moral law when in reality, in Matthew chapter 5, Christ said that the law of God will not pass until heaven and earth pass. In fact, it's almost blasphemous to suggest the law is done away with in light of the fact that every single one of us are judged according to that same law. And so, while we look at this, remember that Yahweh God's question to the priests is concerning the law. And he tells Haggai to ask them concerning the Mosaic law. Verse 12, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. The priest had to answer that because that, my friend, is the law of God. It pertains to any dead thing, but most assuredly something that is considered abominable within God's eyes. This is why pig itself is not necessarily forbidden, that is, for an Israelite to have a pig as a farm animal, but that we are commanded not to touch the dead carcass of that pig because it's ultimately unclean at the end of the day. And that, if you will, is the girth of the question that Haggai is asking the priest 600 years before Christ comes. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, meaning if you're holy and you're within your holy garment, those vestments that were also outlined within the law of Yahweh God, and with his skirt does touch bread or pottage or wine or any meat, shall it still be holy? And the very priests of Haggai's time answered and they said no. They answer Haggai. Why? Well, the answer is provided in verse 13. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean touch any of these, 
shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Now you should already be able to see that the line of questioning given to Haggai by Yahweh is leading up to something else, leading up to a tribe of Israel. And here in a moment, Yahweh God is going to apply this teaching to the Judeans. Why the Judeans? Well, the Judeans were meant to be the priests. Actually, it was the Levites. But many of the priests, at least within the temple of Jerusalem, said that they were our brother Judah. And they were not. Rather, they would lie. They were Edomites. Malachi confirms that. So much so that Yahweh God has to come in again and say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The law itself dictates that the tribe of Levi were to be the priests. That does not disannul the fact that someone from Zebulon or Dan or even Judah here are able to go and be a priest. If Yahweh God puts that upon your heart to be a pastor, then my advice is don't neglect the gift that is within you. But not all are called to be a pastor, and oftentimes when someone is professing to be a pastor, and they're not genetically supposed to be, or they're questionable in theology, we should question that. We should also hold our priests up to a higher regard. Why? Because it only takes one lying false prophet to come in and espound what the people want to hear to cause them to err. And that, if you will, is the society that we live in today. Where if you walk into a modern tax-exempt church within the land, they'll tell you it does not matter how you live. In fact, they'll tell you that the law itself is done away with. They'll tell you that Yahweh God is not a respecter of persons if they even use the sacred name. But on the same token, have no problem telling you that God chose the Edomite or the Jew as the apple of their eye. They get everything backwards and call evil good and good evil. And if you do not believe that a priest has the power to do that, well, you're probably unfamiliar with the Word of God. All it really takes is someone to come in and tell another sinner that they're justified in the eyes of Yahweh God to empower the sin within that person. That's what we read about in Haggai. Yahweh's house stood in a state of ill repair. It was being rebuilt, but then it ceased for about 20 years. And the Israelites went about their daily duties. They went about their work. They went after earning silver and gold. And Yahweh God has to reiterate, even here in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine. Why would he say that? Because he wants you to understand that when you work for silver, gold, or money, you're basically working futilely for a man. A man who at the top of the chain actually came in, stole the gold and the silver from Yahweh God, and is now imposing a fee upon you or a tithe. Meaning you're working for man and not for Yahweh God. And a majority of our people were doing that in Jerusalem. They were tax collectors. Many of them were drunkards. Some of them were sinners and prostitutes. And at the end of the day, they all paid a tithe through people like Matthew to Big Brother. Not to Yahweh God. And every nation that we have ever known that is white, when they put the house of Yahweh God last, they slip into apostasy so fast. Look at parts of Europe today where they boast Christianity is a dying religion, do they not? They come in and they say, well, we're glad to turn away from Christendom and this quote-unquote religion of the Jews, but look at Europe. Look how godless they are. Look how many homosexuals they have. And while we live in America, and most likely the very final target 
in this ultimate battle of Gog and Magog. It's coming here too. The irony is Yahweh God will bless us. He will give us so much if we obey. So much overabundance that we, even now in 2016, are living on the borrowed time that our forefathers set up because they were godly. They were blessed. Does it make sense as to why in Scripture Yahweh God cuts short the days of tribulation for the elect's sake? Because our generation, dear friend, do not deserve the grace nor mercy of Yahweh. For the same exact reason. We put His house last. And you turn on the television, you turn on the news. And you'll hear of this atrocity. You'll hear of this humanitarian effort. But you never hear of our nation dropping to their knees in repentance and seeking Yahweh God, which is a promise that if we seek Him and we repent, He will heal our land. Man comes in and tries to heal the land by playing God instead of repenting and doing it Yahweh's way. And all of this, of course, leads up to this question. This question that was asked by Haggai the prophet concerning the law. That is, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, any unclean thing, when he is in that holy garment or vesture, is he still clean? Of course not. Now, if you are spiritually clean, at least in the eyes of Yahweh God, and you touch the carcass of a dead pig, are you clean? No. The law outlines it and says you will be unclean until evening and even beyond if you do not wash with water. Why all this teaching of uncleanliness or cleanliness? Well, the obvious answer is that that temple was already foreordained and God foreknew that there would be unclean people within it. And so, he asked the question by Haggai, the prophet, and then he applies it to Judah. Now, who was Judah? Judah was the fourth child of Jacob Israel. He wasn't the firstborn. But he and the tribe of Benjamin broke off from the remaining tribes round about the reign of King Solomon. Which makes it applicable because we're dealing with Solomon's temple, which ultimately became known as the temple in Jerusalem. So the application to Judah begins here in Haggai chapter 2, but verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith Yahweh. And so is every work of their hands, that which they offer is unclean. The same exact analogy that we read about in Malachi, the third post-exile prophet. The offerings we make are unclean. They're not acceptable. Why? Well, the answer was given within this book. Chapter 1, verse 11. I, Yahweh speaking, called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon the labor of the hands. The labor of the hands. Here in chapter 2, verse 14, we learn, So is every work of their hands, and that which they offer is unclean. Now notice, this isn't in regards of burnt offerings. Just the offerings of the Judeans in general. And that brings me back to the main point of this book. The way God demands a sacrifice. Not necessarily a burnt offering. But an offering is a way of saying sacrifice. And the Israelites in Jerusalem were making no sacrifice for their neighbor, for their God, or even for the city that they found themselves within. They would not sacrifice for anyone. Therefore, they obviously were not holy 
because they were inundated with sin. And the reason Jerusalem, the very city that murdered the prophets, was inundated with vice, sin, and wickedness was because why? The answer is provided right here. The house of Yahweh was in disrepair. By way of priority, where do we place the house of God within our nation? Whether we live in Europe or America, where does God's house rank within your list of priorities? Because I assure you, even though oftentimes we toot our own horn and we say, you know what, we're Israel, we're great, we're the chosen of Yahweh God. We don't place God's house as high up on the ladder as we should by way of priorities. And when we do that, God promises everything within the book of Haggai and so much more. This goes all the way back to the very law that Haggai had to come in and question the priests according to. The law itself can be summed up very simply. And that is, if you obey, I'll be your father. I'll be a blessing unto you. But if you disobey, I will be your enemy, I will be your adversary, and I will destroy you and your seed from off the face of this earth. And my, how ironic it is that a majority of people seemingly think they can escape the wrath of God by not serving Him in life and never even realize that it's an assault upon their own bloodline. Now, perhaps we out here after the fact, post-mortem, are able to understand that many of these wicked men got their entire bloodline wiped out by Yahweh God, but that's how He designed it. If you love Him, you will obey Him. Christ said, If you love Me, keep My commandments. Therefore, the modern Judeo-Christian out there who serves the quote-unquote lawless one does not love Christ. But they would recognize Christ as Yahweh and Yahweh gave the very law, the moral law that will never change. Never change. Therefore, we know what we're doing is correct or whether it is incorrect. Not because a priest comes in and says so. Not because a prophet raises himself up and says the Lord has said when he hasn't. But so we have a yardstick that we can go back to. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me. Two terms denoting race in reference to the Judeans. People, nation. And once upon a time, a nation was comprised of the racial people that lived within that land. But not so now in America. In fact, a hundred years ago, if you said American, most people would think white Christian male. But now they think American. Most of them think transgender, homosexuals. It's the land of sin, right? <laughs> yeah, the last one. The last one. And don't think for a moment it's not going to all play out here in the New Jerusalem. Because Yahweh God will return and He will destroy those unclean things. And that's exactly what's being discussed here. So then, so are the work of the hands of the Judeans. Even if they were to be legit priests, God would not be happy with it because it was ultimately, at the end of the day, unclean. It was an unacceptable offering. So do you make an offering for Yahweh God in any regard? If you love God, you will obey Him. If you love Christ, you will not lie to your neighbor. You'll tell him that Christ strengthened, codified, and won up the law of God. Verse 15. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were ten. And when one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels of the press, there were but twenty. 
Once again, you see what's being told here. Yahweh God is saying you work, but you're not working at full capacity. You're going here for a heap of 20 measures, but you only get 10. You're only getting half of what you're supposed to. You're going to the press vat to draw out 50 vessels and you only get 20. Once again, about half. And so it stands. We live in America and parts of Europe, but in almost every white nation, our people, the Israelites, are working. And what do we have to pay to our governments? By way of a tithe. But in many instances, almost half of our income. If you're lucky, it's 10 to 25%. But most of us pay half. And that's exactly what Yahweh God is saying. And why is it? Could it be that the Judeans were working in Jerusalem instead of working as a priest for Yahweh God? Meaning that they had more faith within their job than God Himself providing what the Judean priests would have needed. Indeed, since those days were when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. This verse pictures the curse that was upon Israel to the obedience of the people in the building of the temple. Having been cursed with blasting and mildew and hail, the Israelites, their crops, were not as in normal times. Therefore, instead of 20 measures as in heap, they harvested only 10. And their vineyards produced only 20 vessels of wine as opposed to the usual 50. This is Yahweh God saying, you're living under my yoke, and the yoke, I might add, is because of disobedience. Again, because you did not put the church before everything else. Now, it should be common sense to understand that all governments of men are supposed to be established on the Bible. In fact, this is why in times past, many of our presidents would swear their oath with their hand upon the Bible. Now, of course, that means nothing now whatsoever, especially since Barack Obama. But our governments are supposed to be established upon that rock or the Bible that is Christ. And at the end of the day, if we don't establish our government on God's liberty, His promises that are given, then that government becomes a tyrannical government of men. Over and over and over we see this theme. In fact, it's so strong that even after the exodus, after our people were delivered and went through the Red Sea and went into the land of Canaan, many of them complained and cried and said, we want to go back into Egypt where we were slaves. Why? Well, at least they had a home, at least they had a job, and they had a man-king to tell them what to do at every single moment. But they wouldn't have God tell them what to do. And that, my friend, is exactly what Haggai's about. You better listen to God first. And the New Testament confirms that. We ought to obey God rather than man. Christ said you cannot serve God or mammon. It's one or the other. You're going to hate one or love the other. But either way, you cannot serve both. And therefore, that, if you will is exactly what Yahweh God is saying to the Judean priests. If you're going to work within this temple, before we even lay brick to brick, before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days, since those days, this is how you're living, under a yoke. Verse 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith Yahweh. Yet you did not turn unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. What can we learn from this verse right here in Haggai chapter 2, verse 17? Well, we know already, and we've confirmed it numerous times, that Yahweh God controls the weather, right? He controls the increase of our labors. Meaning, if we set our hand to grow crops, He is the one who provides the rain and the latter rain. That's common sense. But what do we learn from verse 17? 
is that the reason Yahweh God allows us to live under an oppressive government of men where we only earn half of what we're supposed to is so we'll turn to Him. And a majority of our people do not. Even today, when we live under a tyrannical government, when God and His Word can set free the captives and provide true liberty and true peace, they still would rather work for men under God's curse. These curses are poured out because they're meant to make you turn to God. So that year in and year out, when you work for man and you only bring home half of what you're supposed to, you'll turn to God and say, vindicate and justify me. Set me free and give me what I'm supposed to have, what I've truly already earned. Therefore, all of this that we see, if you work under an oppressive job and an oppressive boss, and you have to pay half your money in tithes to the breeding of non-whites and to welfare and food stamp programs, if you're doing all of that, it's because God wants you to turn to Him. Not away from Him. Don't lean to your own understanding. That's what they did back then. And look at what it culminated in. Curses from Yahweh God against their crops, against their children, and time and time again, it is because of our own disobedience. Whether we allow the temple to sit in disarray as we did in the times of Haggai, or we erect false prophet Edomite tares to tell us that the Jews are God's chosen as we did a hundred years later in the times of Malachi. It still at the end of the day comes back to us and our disobedience. Yahweh God does not curse us with mildew and blasting when we're doing it His way. So, the story behind all of this is very simple. If you are being oppressed, if man is doing you wrong, Yahweh God is allowing that. Why? So you'll turn to Him. But here in chapter 2, verse 17, we learn, I smote you. Yahweh God smote the Judeans with blasting and with mildew and with hail and in all the labors of their hands. But they didn't turn to Him. That's why I did it. So they would go out and they would attempt to breed sheep. And they wouldn't have any sheep come forth. Or they would go and plant a vineyard and they wouldn't get any wine from that. Yahweh God controlled it all at the end of the day. Yahweh God controlled it. Why is that important? Because we must please our Heavenly Father for Him to pour out a blessing. And when the house of Yahweh God, here put, the temple of Jerusalem, sits and is neglected, God will neglect us as a people. Now, in light of all of this, what about the residue? What about the remnant? Notice, this is to the priests, not to the Israelites who helped rebuild that temple. They were promised that Yahweh God would pour out His Spirit upon them, right? Indeed, verse 14 in chapter 1 confirms that. Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadash, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God. Now they were spared. So consider that. The captives, those that worked for God, were truly free. They truly obtained what it was they worked for. What did they work for? But the gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit was imparted. But here what we're reading about is the application to the land of Judea, but more specifically the Judeans themselves. They didn't put God first. Therefore, they did not go into the temple and say, Yahweh God, bless me as I plant these grapes. And Yahweh God could not bless them. They didn't seek God first in all things. And if you will, that's the integral theme of Haggai. Seek God first in all things. No matter what you set your hand to do, whether it's building your own church and or ministry, 
Whether it's looking for a bride, whether it is looking to increase in life through your own manual labor, put God first. Because if you don't, it's going to be just like this for the Judeans. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with a hail and all of those things. When you set yourself to labor. Not only that, chapter 1, verse 6. Ye have sown much, but ye bring in little. Ye eat and ye have not enough. All of this could have been avoided if we would have, as a nation, put Yahweh God first. Rebuilt His temple. Made that the main priority. Other than anything else. But yet that wasn't what happened. Our people were proud to go ahead and have a little lean-to to crawl under. Basically living in rags with not enough to eat, with not enough to drink, never knowing goodness, never knowing liberty, never knowing charity and or love through these same supposed Judean priests who ultimately became the Pharisees and marveled when even Christ sat with sinners and publicans. When it was all the while outlined within the Mosaic Law itself to do as such. These, my friend, are the traditions of men, and they make null the Word of God. So much delusion, in fact, it was on the part of the Pharisee, that they marveled. They literally could not believe that Christ would come and obey the law. And all the while, the priests were the ones who were espousing the law. And God was the one pouring out the curses against the Judeans and the land of Judea. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256 Brooks, Georgia 30205 or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry, or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. He says in verse 17, I smote you with mildew and with blasting and with hail, all the labors of your hands. Yet ye did not turn unto me, saith the Lord. So when you find yourselves in a time of adversity and seemingly nothing is going right for you, seek God first. Seek the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added unto you. Now, verse 18 continues. Consider now from this day and upward from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of Yahweh's temple was laid, and consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree, hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. Meaning, from this day I will bless you. Many times. In the lives of individuals, God has started His blessings on a certain day. 
Now you can confirm that in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 7. And the same is definitely true regarding any Israelite nation that will seek His face first. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25, or even Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. But again, that is the promise of the law. The law is, if you will obey, I'll be your father. But if you disobey, I'll be your enemy. Notice here, that's exactly what God is saying. I'll be your father if you rebuild the temple. I'll even be glorified there and dwell within that temple for you if you'll do it. But if you don't, you're going to sow much and you're going to bring in little. Not only that, I smote you with blasting and with mildew. Who? Yahweh God. Because again, their priorities were skewed. So, many things to consider here. Is the seed within the barn? This is the last question in the entire book of Haggai. And it's answered. Yay. And yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree. All four trees, right here. Remember, in Scripture, we're to judge a tree according to its fruit. Oftentimes, men and women equate to family trees in the Bible. He says here, The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day. Well, I bless you. From this day. From the day that you rebuild and finish the temple. Why? Is that a trick on God's part? No, not at all. That was the promise made at the very beginning. If you rebuild it, I will dwell there. Go to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Now that, if you will, requires the full Monty. The full faith within Yahweh God. How many of us, as people, put our whole faith within Yahweh God? Well, I assure you, it is less people than we do as a nation. And any time a nation turns from Yahweh God, the end result is a plague from God Himself. It's not so much that we tear ourselves to pieces. It's not so much that we decide, hey, you know what, we don't want God. We're going to try it a different way. It's exactly as God said. If we do not put Him first, He will put us last. And that's how it is. So what would have happened? had the children of Israel within Jerusalem not been risen up, even a remnant, within 24 days by Haggai to rebuild the temple, most likely God would have destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem. Remember that 600 years later, Christ would come and He would stand outside Jerusalem as a city. And He would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that murdered the prophets. How I would have gathered thee as a hen doth gather her chicks. Yeshua's intent was the same as God's. He would have gathered all the people of Judea and all the residents of Jerusalem, the city. And He would have made them as one fold, one sheepfold. Which He will do, of course, during the restoration process. We've already covered that in this book. The renovation of the heaven and the earth, which we read about in chapter 2, verse 6. But it would have been done while we lived. We could have truly known blessings. So therefore, many of us, who have grown up within the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We've never known the blessings. Not the full amount that Yahweh God wants to bestow upon us. Perhaps maybe our great-great-grandparents did if they lived within this country any amount of time. But as long as we look to Trump or Hillary, as long as we look to a man to deliver as opposed to Yahweh God, it's going to be no different than what we read about from Genesis to Revelation. Every time we seek men's advantage, Every time we seek men's glory, and every time we look to men to save us, Yahweh God will not save us. Yahweh God will not bless us. Why? Again, we have to put Him first within our life. And so, if you remember, in the second part, 
we covered the fact that there is a renovation of the heaven and the earth. And I even went to Hebrews chapter 1 and read to you part of that. I read to you the second epistle of Peter where he talks about many people are willingly ignorant of. If our people are willingly ignorant of certain facts pertaining to Yahweh God, then that denotes free will. That that's a choice. You can choose to be a dumbass. Bottom line. Or you can choose to know truth. And truth is defined within the Bible, John 17, 17, as the Word of God. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But He also is the living Word. God is truth, man is a lie. And if we haven't learned that yet within our Christian walk, we have some growing to do, my friend. So there is a renovation of the heaven and the earth, right? And right in verse 7, Yahweh God says, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house, the temple, with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. When is that? That is at the second advent. Right here, at the middle of chapter 2, we're taught on the return of Christ. But so also is it at the conclusion of this book. And this, if you will, is probably the most important part of Haggai's prophecies. Because this concerns our Messiah Yahshua, second advent, and it is to overthrow the Gentile nations. Entirely different teaching than we read about in the New Testament, right? But Haggai here is saying what? Well, let's read it. Verse 20 of chapter 2 in Haggai. And again, the word of Yahweh came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judea, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I, Yahweh speaking, will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. Stopping right there. Yahweh God will deliver you from your enemy. Therefore, we can logically deduct from this that every great empire that has risen throughout history and ultimately been thrown down through acts of war or acts of weather, Yahweh God raised them up and He overthrew them. Else, verse 22 is a lie. I, Yahweh God speaking, will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I... And the overthrow of thrones and the destruction of the power of the kingdoms of the heathen will be at the second advent of Christ when He takes over all the kingdoms of the world. And how many books say He'll take over all the kingdoms of the world? Well, Isaiah chapter 63, Ezekiel chapter 38, Zechariah chapter 14, and many New Testament books all say the same exact thing. When Christ returns, what happens? Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. He says to those goats, depart from me. He says to those sheep, enter into the kingdom, my faithful servant. But who is the judge beyond Christ? No man. All power was given to Yahshua. There is no judge in the book of Revelation beyond Christ. And what are we learning right here that Yahweh God will do at His second advent? Quite interesting, is it not? Because the covenant was opened up to the Gentiles, or those of the gene, those of the gen, those that are the offspring of Adam, the original first created man, but not of the family of Israel. That's your Gentile. Here what we're learning is, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. The heathen, the godless, not the Gentiles. Yahweh God will deliver you. And so it stands today in 2016. As these non-whites are flooding over our border, taking our jobs, taking our homes, taking oftentimes our wives and daughters, the only one that will help you overthrow them is who? Yahweh God. He says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down. Every one, 
by the sword of his brother. This is figurative of many being killed in this exact way. And the same meaning should be given here as to the word all. All means all, my friend. When the Bible says that all Israel is saved, that indeed means all. But that doesn't mean every white person is saved, does it? It means every white Israelite is saved. Now, if a Gentile is a descendant of Adam, they look identical to an Israelite. But the covenant and the promises were made with Abraham and his seed, the Israelites. Therefore, when Christ and Paul and many others opened it up to the Gentiles, He didn't open it up to the heathen. Nine times out of ten, it is the heathens like Pharaoh who rule over us. Or the heathens like the Assyrian who cause us to err. Very important to understand. I will overthrow your enemy, says Yahweh God. But Christ Himself opened it up to the Gentiles. I will overthrow the chariots and all those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. Now, several things need to be brought forth right here. There are seven predictions in this book. Seven prophecies given by Haggai. Haggai the prophet whose name means my holiday. And they are as such. One, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Two, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Three, I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. Four, I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. Five, I will overthrow the horses and their riders. Six, they will be slain, everyone by the sword of his brother. And finally, the seventh, in that day I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and I will make you as a signet. For I have chosen you. Where's that one? That's the final verse in Haggai, the entire book. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But understand, these seven predictions are unfulfilled. Do you think for a moment that perhaps they could be fulfilled within your lifetime? Remember, these are all fulfilled at the Messiah's second advent. Do you think for a moment that perhaps the return of Christ is nearer than you initially expected? In light of the fact that seven of the predictions that are unfulfilled right here in Haggai, and the only seven unfulfilled in the book, everything else is fulfilled. The temple was rebuilt. Right? Judah was meant to be in there. They were false priests. Ultimately, Malachi rebuked them. Seven things that are unfulfilled. I will shake the heavens and the earth. Well, that, of course, we know happens at the renovation of the heavens and the earth. That's why I took you to Hebrews chapter 1. And took you to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 6. So you'd understand. That will be fulfilled at the return of Christ. I'll overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Well, that assuredly happens. Not only in life, oftentimes, to a lesser degree. But at the return of Yahshua, when He establishes His government, and every knee bows, that includes kings. That includes paupers. The third is, I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. You think that will be fulfilled? Because we need this one fulfilled. While Obama works closer and closer and nearer and nearer to aligning us under a united nations and a global new world order, it is Yahweh God who will destroy all these other non-Israelite, non-Christian kingdoms. Because we can't. And we as people oftentimes will open our homes to the heathen when we're instructed not to. We get confused because the false prophet comes in and says, you know what, the heathens are the Gentiles. No, they're not. The heathens are the enemy. The bottom line. Heathen is a polite way of saying the godless. How about this one? The fourth. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. That means anyone who are arrayed against the saints during that final battle. And remember, it is the saints that make war with the whore. 
during the book of Revelation, why do they make war with the whore? Because they hate her. The majority of the world doesn't hate her. They don't hate Hillary or Trump in that regard because they empower them to sin. They seek the homosexual vote. They seek the liberal vote. They seek the miscegenation vote. But none of them are erring on the side of Yahweh God. And I assure you, if a candidate were to rise up and say, I will serve Yahweh God and be a president, it wouldn't matter electoral college. It wouldn't matter if we counted the votes. Yahweh God would put that ruler in. But it requires faith. It requires a leap of faith and a step in his direction on our part. And sadly, we rarely do this. We say, well, we're going to have Trump. He's going to come in. He's going to give us a little bit of peace. And then maybe, through an epiphany, our people will repent and turn from their wicked ways. But that's not what happens. What happens is usually men rise up to rule. People say, hey, well, that man right there is giving us prosperity and peace and change. And they never even question why it is that they work and they sow, but they don't bring home what they're due, what they even earned in their own accord. So many of these prophecies that are given right here aren't fulfilled, seven of them. One of them is this, they will be slain everyone by the sword of his brother. His brother. Is it not the way of wickedness to burn itself out? Was it not the way of wise King David to come in and say, I want them to stumble over their own stumbling blocks? Oftentimes, the wicked burn themselves out with their own wicked devices that they wish upon you, the saints. And in doing that, oftentimes, when you know somebody is out to curse you, my advice is let them do it. They usually bring a curse upon their own head in doing it. That is, if you are truly chosen. If you are truly called. Why? Scripture says, touch not mine anointed. You cannot touch the anointed of Yahweh God without a consequence. And so it stands for Yahshua Messiah. Do you really think those that stood at the foot of the cross and gambled for Yahshua's garment were held innocent? God did not hold them guilty for the sin of mocking and or murder of an innocent man? Indeed they were. You cannot touch the anointed of Yahweh God. So one with Yahweh truly is the majority. And I want you to understand that in light of all this. Haggai goes into Jerusalem and he's only able to stir up a remnant. And that remnant commenced building the temple. And the temple was ultimately completed. It was done. But about 200 years after Haggai, the temple will be sacked, raised, and leveled by the Romans. This is true history. You can look it up. 70 A.D. They went right into Jerusalem. They leveled the entire city and they knocked down the very temple that's being rebuilt right here. And now for almost 2,000 years, what do we have but a wailing wall and a fragment of what once was one of the grandest temples in all of existence. A temple that Yahweh God says, if you build it and if you glorify me within it, I'll dwell there. Did it happen? <laughs> of course not. And so the final verse, and the entire book of the minor prophet Haggai is found in verse 23 of chapter 2. And it reads as such. In that day, what day? The day of the Lord. Remember, we're dealing with, in context, our Messiah's second advent and his return to overthrow the heathen nations and many Gentiles that do not believe upon his name. Therefore, in that day, saith Yahweh of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheathiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith Yahweh of hosts. Who chose Zerubbabel? Yahweh God. 
And so it stands for each and every one of us. We did not choose to be chosen, but if we are chosen, we better rise to that occasion. Now, in the case of Zerubbabel, he could probably come in and say, you know what, I'm not getting the glory I want. But it'll come. Remember, in that day, in the day of the Lord, in the return of Yahshua, I'll take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and I'll make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee. Meaning that God revealed His choice of Zerubbabel as the very governor of Judah. And this is taught in all of Scripture. There is no power appointed to be a ruler over the Israelites or man in general if it not be appointed by Yahweh God. Zerubbabel was one such governor. And it stands to reason that Yahweh God would raise up Zerubbabel as a signet. Because under the leadership of Zerubbabel, during the reign, in the second year of Darius the king, this is when the temple was rebuilt. Therefore, it goes without saying that Haggai, being a prophet of Yahweh God, is a saint. It goes without saying that Zechariah and Malachi as well are saints. Ezra, Nehemiah, who wrote the historical books pertaining to the rebuilding of the temple. And the Samaritans withstanding them. And what happened? So, again, if you require further study into the background of how this temple stopped being rebuilt what hindered them, and why God has to return to destroy the heathen nations, and ultimately, why Zerubbabel, his servant, the son of Sheathiel, will eventually become as a signet. What's a signet? It's an ensign. It's a message. It's an icon to all people to see that Yahweh God chose Zerubbabel. Why did He choose him? Well, he was governor of Judea. Do you honestly believe that we could have even rebuilt the temple had we not had Zerubbabel as governor? Of course we could not. And so it stands today. If Trump is truly a Christian man, then it will be Yahweh God who raises up the prophet. And it will be Yahweh God who puts Trump in the position of authority so he can obtain his goodwill through it. But it won't be Trump. No more than it was Zerubbabel. He was an instrument in God's grand design. And God's intention in all of this book is I will be glorified within my temple. It never came to be. And it is not now. We do not glorify Him. In fact, the majority of our people who go by the title of Judeo-Christendom believe God is the offense. His law is oppressive. And they don't even understand that if they would take that first step, that leap of faith, Yahweh God will add everything else unto them. Look at who's blessed at the very end of the book of Haggai. Zerubbabel, his servant, the son of Sheatiel, he was chosen. Chosen by God to be governor. So what? So we could rebuild the temple. So Haggai could go in there and pull out a remnant. Not the majority. Meaning he could have pulled the majority under Zerubbabel's leadership. But it didn't happen. Therefore, Yahweh God was in control. And Yahweh God knew what was going to happen all along. And even when Jesus Christ came, 600 years after the fact, He had to go into that temple. He had to chastise them. He had to go against many of these false priests and tell them that their traditions made null His Father's Word. The Word of God. And so it stands today. If we go into a modern church, we learn that they have many traditions. But seemingly none of them are theologically grounded. They're not sound within doctrine. We've looked at the book of Haggai and we've done so in three hour long segments. And Haggai is not to be confused with Haggai. Haggai is found within the book of Esther, and he was the king's eunuch. You can read about this Haggai 
in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, and we did that in part 1. I proved to you that he worked alongside exactly who he said he did here. Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, and many other people. And Haggai's main goal was to get the temple built, to encourage the work, and to promise the Israelites that if you complete this, God will honor His promise. And remember, we proved that from this. The promise that God honored was made to Abraham after the Exodus, through Joshua, before entrance into the land of Canaan itself. No man or woman alive at the time of the rebuilding of the temple, no man or woman, Israelite, was alive then that remembered the Exodus. So it was truly grace. And if you question why it is that God is still extending you unmerited favor, why you're still able to breathe life when we live in such a godless society that doesn't even put the house of God first and the supposed house of God that they put first worships the Jew, Christ killer, in light of the true Messiah. If you question why it is that we are not destroyed yet when we so deserve it, it is because of the same reason. According to a covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our great forefathers, our great great grandfather, it was a racial covenant made. A racial covenant that Yahweh God will still honor today. That is, if you're called, if you're chosen, and if you're elect. Now, the temple was to be rebuilt, but it was withheld for 18 years by the Samaritans. And many of the Judean priests in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah had no problem going and taking Samaritan women and miscegenating. In fact, in the times of Malachi, a hundred years after this, they were putting away their Israelite wives to go after foreign wives. Does that remind you of 2016? It should. Again, Haggai was the first of three post-exile prophets. The first was Zechariah, and that was his contemporary. The last, of course, was Malachi, a hundred years after the fact, and we dealt with Malachi last month from this very pulpit in four parts. So if you require study on that, I suggest that after we conclude here today on Haggai, go ahead and look at Malachi. It does shift. Haggai has to deal with the people. And the people were complacent. They sat back. They had nothing to do with God. God wasn't a main priority for them. And then Haggai is risen up to go and stir the people to build the temple. And they do. And they ultimately complete it. And Yahweh God says, you know what? I'll make Zerubbabel by signet in the return of Christ. Because under his governorship, we were able to complete the temple. And a hundred years later, comes Malachi. And by that time, we are already resurrecting false prophets to tell us what it is we wanted to hear. And they were withholding the worker in his wages. They were oppressing the widows. They were oppressing the orphans. They were doing everything opposite of God's law. And I assure you, all it probably took for the false prophets of Malachi's time was to come in and say, the law is done away with. Every man, take care of yourself. Don't make a sacrifice and do not concern yourself with others. So Haggai, as a minor prophet, supported the governor Zerubbabel, who was governor in the land of Judea at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. Zerubbabel, because he was the governor and allowed this, unlike many others, was ultimately chosen of Yahweh God and will become a signet or an ensign, a sign for all nations to understand that one governor can deliver his people. It didn't require all the Israelites, only a remnant, only a residue. And at the end of the day, Zerubbabel was pleasing the Yahweh God. 
And perhaps that explains why Yahweh God would choose him to be governor at the time of Haggai. Haggai teaches us many things as a book. Perhaps the most important is the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. That's Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. As long as we remember that, as long as we remember who owns all the money, the gold, the silver that we are working for, chances are pretty good that we'll put the person who owns the silver first as opposed to our boss who has to pay us in this particular money. The reality of it is, is Yahweh God owns the earth. And this earth is His footstool. He can raise kings. He can raise tyrants. But at the end of the day, what do you do? If you're called, if you're chosen, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. Do not harden your heart. Because the Israelites in the times of Haggai had hardened hearts. And it culminated in a hundred years later having a temple full of false prophets just like today in America. Since 1945, same exact history repeating itself. And what happened at the return of Christ? Well, about a hundred years after Malachi, Christ came in and denounced the very temple. That is why Haggai ends on the note that he will denounce the heathens, the Edomites, the tares. When he returns, believe me, all Israel will be restored. But many people are going to be shocked to find out that not all whites are Israelites. Every Israelite is white. But not every Adamite is an Israelite. They're a Gentile. They're not going to accept, not every single one of them, but it is God's intention. Just like in the book of Haggai, it was His intention to dwell within the temple. Wherever two or more gathered, there Yahshua is in the midst of us. Christ now is the head. We are the temple. It has nothing to do with this building anymore. It has everything to do with us who comprise His body. Keep your temple clean and put the temple of Yahweh God first in all things. And Yahweh God will be a Father. He will bless you. But if we don't, if we sit back and say, oh well, doesn't matter, Yahweh God is going to do just as He promises. He's going to cut us off with the heathen. And you, my friend, do not want that. So indeed, all Israel is saved. But I hope that you're part of that company. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wanting to thank the few men, women, children, and families that support this ministry. We truly are listener-supported, and we truly require your tithes and offerings to continue bringing forth books, audio sermons, and videos. So if you've been touched by this ministry, please consider a sacrifice and or an offering yourself. And I assure you, Yahweh God will be pleased with that. Until next time. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions, and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons, and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. 
and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.